Welcome to Season 2 of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. This season is dedicated to interviews with mayoral and city council candidates running for the city of Powell River within the Cothed region during the 2022 municipal election. Here's your host, Aaron Reed. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. Joining me today for this episode is Trina Isaacson. Trina is running for the position of City Councillor for the City of Powell River in the October 15th municipal election. Here is Trina's submission. Trina Isaacson was born and raised in Salmon Arm and moved to Powell River almost five years ago. She has since gotten deeply involved in our community. She's been a volunteer at different times with the Powell River Garden Club, Texada Island Nonprofit Seniors Housing Society, and Knuckleheads Winter Recreation Association and currently sits on the board of the Powell River Community Foundation. Some listeners may know her as a member of the Community Finance Advisory Committee or from being a co-facilitator of public engagement with the possible name change process earlier this year. Her professional work is as a facilitator and researcher with community groups, helping them do strategic planning, implement changes, or work on conflict. She's worked with organizations such as BC Civil Liberties Association, SFU Library, Powell River and District United Way, and the City of Surrey. Before her work with community organizations, she was a high school math and science teacher. She has an MBA in Community Economic Development from Cape Breton University and a Certificate in Dialogue and Civic Engagement from SFU. She spends her free time doing crossword puzzles, working on her house and garden, and walking in the forest. Please join me in welcoming Trina Isaacson. Welcome, Trina Isaacson, to the podcast. Thank you, Erin. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Perfect. Excellent. So to start off, I thought maybe you could just tell me a little bit about yourself, like where you were born, where you grew up, that kind of thing. Uh, I was born and raised in Salmon Arm, and so community pretty similar to Powell River in the sense that the first time I came here, I was like, oh, this feels very familiar. Um, So born and raised in Salmon Arm, uh, I went to university at UBC, was a high school teacher. I taught math and science as my first career and traveled for a bit, worked at the YWCA doing special events like the Women of Distinction Awards. I did that in my mid-20s, worked for SFU for a while, traveled some more, and then for the past 11 or so years I've been self-employed. So now I'm a facilitator. I help do strategic planning and help people work through conflict or hold other important strategic conversations. I've been here for about five years, um, live in Westview, own my home, garden a lot. I love hiking in the backcountry. My family visits quite a bit. My parents are still up in Salmon Arm and they come down as often as they can, although I'm renovating my bathroom at the moment on my own and uh, I don't have a my shower is not it does not exist right now so (laughs) which is great for someone who's campaigning and speaking to the public on a (laughs) daily basis but luckily I have friends in high places um, and by that I mean friends with showers so um, and my sister's in Victoria and yeah um, I mean my family of origin like my ancestors mostly come from Norway. That's where the Isaacson is, is from. Hard to pronounce, but yeah, that's a roundabout way of who I am and where I've been and yeah, what I'm doing. Nice. Yeah. So what made you decide Westview? 
Well, you know what? When I first came to town, I actually was wanting wanted to move to Cranberry, and I'd put offers in a couple of homes in, in Cranberry. I loved um, I loved the lake, so I grew up on Shushwap Lake, and so I'm, I love lakes. It's nice to live by the ocean, but like lakes are are definitely where my heart is. But it just didn't work. And then I found this house on a no through street in in Westview, and it was quiet. I can walk almost everywhere. And I have an ocean view, which I wasn't looking for, but I definitely value it now. It's definitely um, something to enjoy with my coffee in the mornings. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So one of my questions was, what type of work or jobs have you held? Yeah. And you you did kind of cover that a bit, but maybe what what was your first job? Uh, My very first job was working for my parents. My parents owned a campground on Shushwap Lake on uh, Adam's Indian Band land. And so I scooped ice cream in the summer and worked in the store. And so I think, I'm trying to think, the first summer, maybe I was in grade seven, so long time ago. And I also taught dance, so I did a lot of dance in high school. And so I taught the younger kids, like the five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, some, some classes. So those were my first jobs. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. So what actually made you decide to come to Powell River? Mm, uh, I knew I wanted to leave the city. I wanted to move back to a small town like I was born and raised in, but I didn't really know where. And I had been looking, I think I probably started looking eight years ago and had considered some areas on the lower coast. And a friend said, why don't you check out Powell River? And um, I was like, oh, second ferry. And so <laughs> I, didn't have a, I didn't have a car at the time. I think I borrowed... Um, for some reason, I had my parents' vehicle. I, I don't know how that worked out, but I took the second ferry. I didn't know anybody in town. Um, I used the couch surfing website. I'm not sure if you're familiar, familiar oh, with. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've couch surfed quite a few places in the world. And so I'm like, oh, I'll try it here. And and I ended up staying with Terry Faubert. I don't know if you know Terry, Joseph McLean's mom. And so she was like the first person I met. And then a friend of mine knew Karen Skadsheim. And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, meet this person I don't, you don't, or I don't know. And between the two of them, they just showed me around and introduced me to in- neat people. And like, I fell in love that very first time and uh, got a realtor. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it took a while to find a place up here that, um, that worked out for me, but it was like immediate. It felt like home. It was familiar, you know, like the size of town, you know, we both between Sam and Arm and Pell River, like. We're big enough for junior junior hockey teams and rec centers and <laughs> grocery stores that are open into the evening, um, but small enough to only have one high school and to for everyone to know each other's business and uh, right. um, you know the good and the bad. So yeah, it was just like an immediate feeling of like oh yeah, this is it. Yeah, immediate. Awesome. Yeah. So did you get in buying a house before kind of everything hit the fan? Yeah. So oh, lucky. Yeah, I bought. Mm, yeah, almost five years ago, not quite, yeah, four. Um, so things had already gone up, but not, like, I don't think I would have been able to afford um, had I moved here now. Right. Yeah. 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 It's crazy how fast that went. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll be totally frank, like, I moved here from Vancouver. In many ways, I'm part of the problem because I had, I had income from Vancouver. And so I was able to afford things that, that felt very reasonable, but that were increasingly becoming out of reach for a lot of local folks. So yeah, I, um, it's tough, um, people from outside moving here. Um, and I was one of them, so it's hard, but I'm, 
I'm glad that it worked out for me and I'm glad it worked out for, for the people who, who it has worked out for. Right. Yeah. Um, and what are your favorite places to spend time in the city? Mm, I love the library. I love, uh, I love that the nook is in the library and I can have some coffee and just hang out there. I love my favorite swimming spots around Powell Lake that I won't talk about, (laughs) 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 that I won't share publicly. Um, there's places outside the city that I definitely really enjoy, like Appleton Canyon is probably one of my favorite, just shorter day hikes, and uh, Toknach uh, Trail as well. But I, I mean, I really just spend a lot of time walking around Westview, so I enjoy like just spending time at the thrift stores, walking down to one of the cafes and enjoying the sunset. Pretty, I don't know, pretty simple local places that I enjoy. Yeah. Okay. So what made you decide to put your name in for city council? Mm. I had been encouraging a couple of people to run for council, some of them for the past four years. And when it got close to, you know, actually having to file, the people that I was really hoping could run, just it wasn't the right time for them. So, you know, with small kids or their job was picking up or going back to school and so I was looking around just thinking, okay, who, you know, who else, who, who else can I encourage to run that would share my values? And uh, turns out I had to look at <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to in the sense that like, a lot of the big issues that are that exist in town right now, um, you know, housing, um, you know, mental health and substance use issues and public participation and the things that people are concerned about and care about are the things that I care about too. And I think that I could contribute in really thoughtful ways. And so it's definitely, it wasn't in my plan. (laughs) I didn't have a (laughs) long-term plan to run for council. I thought, you know, maybe 20 years from now when, you know, my own life settles down, but I think it's important for a variety of people to run. So I'm happy to be one of the younger candidates. I'm not the youngest um, for sure, but yeah, happy to do it. Wasn't in the plan, but it's been, um, yeah, pretty affirming process to, to feel people's support and encouragement. So mm, I'm glad I'm doing it. Good. What issues are top of mind for you as yeah. you come into the election? I mean, housing is one absolutely for sure. I think, I mean, it touches people in so many different ways, even if people like have their homes paid off or are very comfortable with their mortgages and taxes, which I don't think are that many people. Um, you know, people still struggle with like taxes or just the cost of upkeeping their older homes. Um, you know, my home was built in the 40s, as uh, is true of a lot of people, um, especially in Townside and Cranberry. And um, I have a friend right now uh, who's renting a home that's going up for sale. And like, that's crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, trying to find a new place that's affordable and is safe and appropriate for someone, for, for two people, for a pet, like that means crisis. And that shouldn't mean crisis if your house goes up for sale locally. I don't think a lot of young people can imagine a future here and being able to afford a home and being able to raise a family. So, and even if, you know, none of those things impact you. You are impacted by stores not being able to be open because they don't have the staff to provide goods and services because they can't afford to live here. So um, it impacts all of us, including people who are at risk of homelessness. Like there's definitely a lot of couch surfing going on. Um, you know, people uh, in cars are living on some of the back roads in the forests. It's it's not okay. Everyone should should have affordable, safe, 
appropriate housing and we don't have it right now. So that's, that is number one by far. I mean, other things that are, are interested, interesting to me and the people that I talk about, the mill site is a big one. So the fact that it's going to require a lot of cleanup, no matter what happens next. Um, the fact that we don't have jobs associated with the mill site right now, or, you know, only a very few just for, for maintaining it. Question over who the next purchaser will be. And just like the, the development generally of the waterfront, now that it's not all um, Catalyst or not all Paper Excellence owned. So like, what is that future going to look like? Is it going to be vibrant? Is it, you know, is it going to help us um, fill our tax coffers? Um, those are all really open questions. And, and so I'm thinking about that a lot, but I don't necessarily have the answers yet, but I know it's important. Public participation is a big one for me. I've been on both sides of the pu- public participation uh, piece. So I've facilitated public participation. People may know me from co-leading some of the public engagement for the name change process. Uh, and then I also sat on the community finance advisory committee so I was a member of the public participating and that was a frustrating experience and so I feel like um, I've heard people's frustrations I've had frustrations um, and it's not only about frustration sometimes it's about clarity like I know that council meetings are open to the public I know that the agendas and the minutes are online but they're not actually accessible they might be there's a, there's a bit of a barrier to understand how it works and what you can do and how you can speak to council and how you can share your input. And so I, I, um, I can see why people feel frustrated or feel like there's a lack of transparency because um, it's just not clear um, for, for people. And then the final thing that's uh, an important issue for me is for the city to have good relations with Lama Nation. I think it's a moral imperative, but also a strategic imperative um, there are neighbors, the original peoples of the land, uh, and potential, you know, part purchasers, uh, purchasers of the mill site. And um, I think it's our responsibility to be in good relations with them. And so um, that would be definitely a priority for me if I got elected. You've put lots of thought into uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> People ask me <laughs> over and over again. So <laughs> I've got those four on my website, but I get asked other questions as well. But those are the four that either I hear about most often or that I care about a lot as well. Okay. Are there certain strengths that you possess that you feel mm. would be helpful in council chambers? Yeah. Um, I think especially through my professional work as a facilitator, I, I earn my living by being curious and being able to ask people really thoughtful questions that get it to the heart of the matter, um, which is important as a counselor when staff bring you reports, like um, asking the right questions to make sure that you understand what they're bringing you and what research they've done and what their recommendations are. Also, as a counselor, we have to read through hundreds of pages on a monthly basis. And um, I do a lot of research in my work and I'm scanning documents and I'm interpreting things and sharing, being able to synthesize and you know, notice themes and share that back out with people. So I feel like it's a slog, but something that I do regularly for my work anyways. And and that's a skill that I'd bring. Um, And also through my work, a lot of it is, you know, working with dynamic, diverse groups of people that don't always agree and figuring out a way to be thoughtful and deliberative and come to consensus in a way that people can, or a group can get to the best possible solution. So there people talk a lot about consensus process or consensus you know decision making and it's not just a matter of going like do we have consensus 
no? Okay, so let's have a vote. Like, consensus means, all right, what's the proposal on the table? Okay, you know, on a scale of one to five, like, how excited are you about this? Oh, okay, you're a two. Like, what would you need to come along? What would make it a better proposal in your sense? And and just, like, getting it to where a place where a group can be mostly fours and fives um, rather than just dealing with whatever the motion is on the table. So I think I could bring a bit more thoughtful deliberation to council if the rest of council was keen to shake up process a little bit. Uh, I know Robert's rules of order, but it's it's important for final decision making. It's it's required by law, but I think there's other ways to get the best out of all all of council. So yeah, I would say, I mean, my facilitation practice definitely would be an asset in being a counselor. Good. And that brings me, actually, it's kind of funny uh, to ask a facilitator, but <laughs> yeah. how do you work through conflict? Ah, uh, so like a consensus process is uh, that I just described is something that I use a lot. It depends on what the conflict is. If the conflict is like, oh, we are two people who disagree on something, like I actually don't think that's a conflict. That's just an opportunity for discussion. It's a disagreement. I've done quite a bit of conflict training and the definition of conflict that I like is when two people disagree and at least one of them has a, an emotional charge. Um, and so if there's an emotional charge, like a, a good way that I've approached it before is for people to be able to, you know, state the root of the conflict or their view of the situation and for the other person to repeat back what they've heard, not their own interpretation, but what they've heard, and then, you know, swip, switch that around so that they each know that the other understands what what they think as an individual. And so uh, it requires a lot of listening and a lot of um, back and forth. But, you know, from my experience, the consensus process that I described works a lot because you can hear where the resistance or the no in the room is. And, you know, sometimes there's enough will in the room to just like go along with the majority, but sometimes there is wisdom in that minority, the wisdom in the no. So like, what is the... Yeah, what's the glimmer of something useful that people who really disagree with something can contribute to a proposal? Um, and I think that's important for everyone to feel heard. It doesn't mean that we're going to change our minds or or go along with the no, but it there's often something in there that's worth that's worth including. Those are some of my thoughts. So our youth aren't able to vote. Mm-hmm. However, they are an important part of our community. Yes. Uh, we have little for them to do outside of sports, arts, and outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. And many teens and young adults aren't into those things. Yeah. So do you have any ideas of ways we can address the lack of spaces for teens and young adults to hang out and be better supported? Mm. I think there are places for them to hang out, but they're not places that they're invited to yet. So like in terms of actual physical space, there's places in town, um, but we might not just be activating them for youth. Um, so an example of something that doesn't fit into the, you know, arts recreation, what's the third one that you use? Arts recreation? Uh, outdoor outdoors, activities, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, the youth community action team and the restorative justice youth group, um, hold gatherings where young people talk about issues that are important to them. So I've taken, well, I've taken part slash observed two of them before. One was related to the name change. So we were invited to to witness that and so it was like a group of 30 youth talking about how this how this possibility impacts them and what they're hearing and what their challenges have been and so that was just not at all related to 
activity, but related to, you know, youth input and youth sharing their thoughts and being heard and connecting with one another. Um, and this, the other one I went to was on living in a rural area. And so we talked about like, what, what are the differences between living in a rural and an urban area? And, um, you know, what are the benefits and what are the challenges and what's missing? So um, I think those are really valuable. And also, um, Volunteer Pell River has a lot of volunteer opportunities for youth, and they've got a good group that goes out, I believe, some of them maybe at Seniors Day today. I don't, maybe I'm wrong about that, but they definitely will be at Cranberry uh, Senior Center on voting day providing um, free child minding for people that want to bring their kids to the poll, but want to vote alone <laughs> without <laughs> maybe a screaming child. I don't know. Um, so I think those are some of the some of the existing possibilities, and it just requires us like amplifying that, sharing that, um, and supporting that, whether through sp- like actual space, um, through financial resources, through you know administrative support with other nonprofits. Um, I think we have a lot that we can offer here, but maybe we're just not out there as much as it could be. So this one actually did come from youth, and, and what their issue is, is mm. for instance, on a Friday night, if they want to oh, get yeah, together, yeah. there's nowhere to go, mm. right? The mall's not open late, yeah. there's no arcade, there's no yeah, yeah, place yeah. for them to be. Mm. So it's not so much about engagement as there's literally oh, nowhere no for them to go, yeah. besides hanging out at the beach and yeah. having a party. Yeah, right? um, and so when I think about, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking like the family... A youth and family place at Ocean View offers some things for teens, but it's like just after school. It's not in the evenings. Um, yeah, great question. I when I think about who might who might take that on or what's possible, I do think about the spaces that already exist that we could activate, like Cranberry Senior Center. Like it's a senior center, but it's also bookable by the broader community, right? And so, like um, who. Again, it requires an organization that maybe has access to liability insurance. And so yeah. I think about, you know, nonprofit groups partnering with one another. Um, there's definitely a, like most of my work is in the nonprofit sector. And so there's definitely a, a trend in like an organization kind of sponsoring a younger one and providing them with support, but letting the the group kind of lead themselves. But um, so like maybe there are connections there. Um, yeah, like great question. Okay. Have you read the 94 Calls to Action put out by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you think our city is doing with regard to truth and reconciliation? Hmm. Uh, I have read them, and part of that is for just personal use. When they came out, it was definitely a big thing to have read them um, in my circles. Uh, and also, I, because I do a lot of strategic planning with organizations, and a lot of organizations are trying to figure out ways to embed reconciliation in their work, um, it comes into play in strategic planning. So, for example, I just recently worked with SFU Library, and there's a couple of calls to action specific to libraries. Um, I've done work with legal organizations, and there's calls that relate to law um, there's calls that relate to education. So it often impacts groups that I'm working with and rather than them doing outreach to indigenous communities to find out what, um, what they can do, like they've already been told there are calls to action and that's a good place to start. So, um, so yes, I have read them. And what was the second part of your question? Uh, How do you think the city's doing with Mm. regards to truth and reconciliation? Do you mean the city as in like the government or the city as in the people? 
We could go with both, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, and I think my answer to both of those would be mixed. So uh, the city, Big C, City of Pearl River, the government, um, you know, we people often talk about the community accord, which I think demonstrates the city to be a leader in taking reconciliation uh, seriously. And so that was signed in 2003. I learned a lot about the community accord um, throughout the possible name change process and the importance of that, both to the city and the nation. And my understanding of the city and the nation is um, what works well as it relates to, you know, the city doing good by reconciliation is the fact that they're like there's open communication. Uh, I don't know, open door policies, maybe not the right word, but there's just like they stay in touch about key issues and they'll keep each other informed and will we'll consult each other with, with projects and also having roles like the social planner being a regional role that serves the city and the nation and the regional district. And maybe there are more opportunities to, to do that. Um, but I also think um, there's room for the city to grow. And by city, I still mean the municipality. So I know that city staff have, some of them have participated in in cultural awareness workshops. And I think those are picking back up again. They, they stopped before COVID and, and they're picking up again soon. So there's more room to do there. And um, for example, the walk that happened yesterday, so I don't know when this will be released, but yesterday was September 30th, Orange Shirt Day or the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Um, from my understanding, it was a bit of a struggle to get that walk sanctioned and signed mm. off by all. I mean, because it's on a highway, like there's a lot of levels of government and people that needed to be um, to sign off on that. I think it's the first year they tried to get it officially sanctioned. And rather than going, no, uh, it would be nice for the city to go, well, not like that, but let's figure out a way to make it work. I mean, that's true for reconciliation. And that's also true for like business permits and <laughs> building permits and stuff <laughs> so so i think the city as like a government to government is doing good things but like how that works on the ground i think there's room for improvement um but i also like for a lot of people um who were born and raised here and went to school with um you know friends from Tlaman, they haven't necessarily had to think about it and it's it's new to think about it in like this this structural way that people are being asked to think about it in and it's uncomfortable at times and I think like we're all still kind of fumbling through and for some people it feels like a natural step and for some people it feels like you know awkward or uncomfortable or people um, get defensive over and I think we just um, some people need some time to work through it and and will come along over time but needs time for some people. One major concern of many electors is rising taxes. Yes. Do you have any ideas on how taxation can be held without cutting mm. current services? Um, <laughs> without cutting current services. <laughs> of course, you add that on at the right? end. Um, so, I mean, without cutting current services, no. Like the answer, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't dangle this shiny like I promise to cut taxes because it's a complicated question, and I'm answering it frankly here. Um, if, if people want lower taxes or for them not to increase at the at a rate of, I was going to say inflation, but that, that don't, we don't want <laughs> taxes to go up at the rate of current inflation. Right. Um, but to be held at like a more modest, like 2% or 3%, you know, just with cost of living increases with wages and the cost of supplies, like the inflation that everyone is experiencing, the city is experiencing well. And so, so then it comes down to cutting services and, I think that 
any service that gets cut is going to be important to somebody. And so if there's public will to, to say, hey, we need to cut taxes, we have to cut something, then there's going to be some pretty angry people in town. Um, and so whether that means like, you know, and when I say these things, maybe I shouldn't say them because people are going <laughs> to, I was just going to throw out some ideas. I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to throw out some ideas. But you know what, one thing that I will say um, that I know is a hot topic for many, but I think, you know, one of the biggest expenses for the city is emergency services, RCMP and fire. And I do think there's an opportunity for some of the work that those two entities do to be led by community a bit more. So things like picking up needles or responding to people in, in some mental health situations where it's not a matter of crime, but just a feeling of discomfort or safety. I think there's an opportunity for community response because the, the work that RCMP and emergency services and fire service does is really important and they're really skilled in specific areas. And some of those, some of the things that they're being asked to do, I think are better suited to be done um, from at a more community level. Not that they're not community, but just from a, a bit of a different perspective that doesn't require the full response of emergency services. And I say that because like, as a city, we could nickel and dime here and there, like cut 10,000 from here and 10,000 there. But like our biggest expenses are emergency services. Like that by far is the biggest one chunk. And I think there's something to explore there. But again, that require that means cutting or at least shifting services. And, um, and people want both. And I don't think it's possible. So I'm just speaking honestly, if someone's promising you to cut taxes and not services, they're not, they're not going to be able to do it. It's funny you brought that up because that's my next question. <laughs> the proposed the spending for yeah. the new emergency services building is yes. another contentious topic. Yes, it is. So where do you stand on that issue? Yeah, so where I stand is I agree that we need a new fire hall. I believe there's never a good time to build a new fire hall. Um, and so people say it's not the right time. And I'm like, well, it hasn't been the right time for 25 years. Um, it's going to have to be the right time at some point. I don't agree with the fire hall design that was shared, I think it was about a year and a half ago. I'm, I forget the timeline, but I think for a town, we're a pretty modest town, and I don't think that was a modest plan. But from my understanding, in order to be able to demonstrate community support for a new fire hall and therefore access grant funding from other levels of government and be able to say to the feds or the province, say, like, we've got community support and therefore can you grant us some money for new emergency services. Um, this referendum will help us demonstrate that, access those funds. And it means that we will be allowed to borrow up to $7.5 million, but we won't necessarily need to borrow that much. And so when a new plan, like if we get, if it's approved and if there is a new plan that gets put forward, I think that is the opportunity for the public to really hold council's feet to the fire and say like, don't don't build more than necessary. I think it's important to build for the future in mind. Like we don't want to be building a new fire hall in 50, in 25 years based on, you know, population growth or whatever. But I, you know, I'll be voting yes, but I also really understand why people would vote no because there is some public perception of of um, you know, some the plans being a little bit too rich for our community and and so this is their way to say like no to that. But this referendum is about long-term borrowing. And if we are in a situation where 
we have to build and therefore can only act as short-term borrowing because the community had said no to this referendum, that means a lot higher taxes over a short period of time rather than it being spread out over 20 years. So it's like I can see why people would vote either way, but I'll be voting yes. So my next question was about, actually, it's kind of a combo question, mm-hmm. but it was about affordable housing and crime. Okay. Um, we've touched on affordable housing a bit. You're yeah. obviously very passionate about that. Do you have any ideas on how we can make housing more affordable mm. or, or bridge that gap? Yeah. You you threw in crime. Is there I a did. second we part can, of the question? We can or? talk about okay. that separately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so h- how to make housing more affordable. So the city recently adopted the this housing implementation strategy, which offers a variety of potential solutions. And I think some of them are longer term solutions and some of them are shorter term. So the idea of a municipal housing authority, which gets the city more involved in rental housing, I think is a possibility uh, or an opportunity for us. Um, And there are a couple different models, like in Whistler, the city really is involved in, in managing the housing, which I'm not necessarily uh, as into. I think Squamish has taken an approach that is a bit more arm's length, but either way, the city gets involved, they provide land um, and help it so that there's just a more variety of rental stock getting built um, that serves more different family sizes, um, perhaps that allow pets and aren't like aren't social housing, not necessarily supportive housing, but just a little bit less than market or some market housing. Like There can be a mix. I think the proposal from the city um, to build on Barnett is is a mix of market and, and less than market and um, much below market. So uh, that's one thing. In the shorter term, I would actually be curious to explore, and I don't think this showed up in the housing Im- implementation strategy, is a vacancy tax or a speculation tax like there there is in Vancouver, um, in particular the vacancy tax. I, if people own a home uh, in Pell River that is empty because maybe, especially if they live outside, like if their primary residence is not in Pell River, and they have an empty home here, I don't think that's okay. I think that it should be rented or it should be sold. and Or they can pay the tax and that gets um, uh, added to the city's coffers uh, in terms of tax revenue. So that's something that wouldn't hit local residents, but would hit people who live elsewhere but own a home here and it's empty. So that would be something that would be a little bit more immediate. I don't know how many homes that would free up as potential rentals, but... Um, so that would be something I'd be curious for the staff to do some research on and report back to council on. Another thing that I would be interested to explore, and I don't know the feasibility of it, but I would also be curious to ask staff to explore is, you know, the number of homes that have either the full homes that are rented or if there's a rental suite in a home that's just like not quite up to snuff in terms of like by like bylaws for dec- secondary suites. Is there an opportunity to, I think Victoria has broadened or changed the bylaws so more things could be legally considered secondary suites or is there an opportunity for like either lower interest loans or almost like loans that get deferred similar to property taxes for people over 55 that are paid back to the city when a when a house is sold so that anyway so that homeowners can fix up um, places to provide more or healthier, safer rentals for people. So, yeah, those are those are a few options that I would be curious to explore. The first one, um, the city's already exploring based on the housing implement- implementation strategy. But I think the second two are ones that I haven't heard about and I'd be curious to, to explore. Okay. 
And then crime. Yep. A lot of citizens are very concerned about the crime rate mm-hmm. within town. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing just even from the court dockets, there's a lot of violent crime mm-hmm. happening that didn't seem to be mm-hmm. such an issue. Do you think council has any role to play in eliminating or cutting back the amount yeah. of crime we're experiencing? Yeah. So from my understanding, the crime actually took a dip in early stages of COVID and has come back up again. So there's definitely an increase that, are peop- that people are feeling. I think when it comes to city council's role in that, there, there are a few things. So some people associate crime with social housing or people who are dealing with mental health and addictions. And that's true to some extent, but that's not where all crime's happening. But for times where that is a connection where people are involved in theft just to meet their basic needs or to earn money in order to access drugs because they're suffering from addiction. I think there's opportunities for the city to support organizations that provide services to those, whether it's through like partnerships or advocacy with the provincial government, um, the funding that's coming into town over the next three years. Um, People keep saying two million, two million, two million over three years. Um, I think um, are helpful and that the city can also confirm like, you know, um, Lyft and the housing on Joyce, there's a good neighbor agreement and I don't know exactly what that looks like and what, what's been enforced, but there's an opportunity to just like have good relationships and, and for the, um, community action team that works in these areas to figure out, okay, like where, where are the hotspots and how might we address some of those who are, um, the people who are suffering in ways that means that they are, I would say, you know, 80% of the crimes are often committed by 20% of the people. So like for those 20% of the people, what would be needed so that they are in a place where they don't need to commit crimes in order to to survive on a daily basis? So, so this speaks to a little bit of my suggestions before of investing a little bit more in community care so that we don't have to um, invest as in much in emergency response because people are having their basic needs met. And to be quite honest, so I've been door knocking and people bring up crime that there's a it's a concern for them, and I ask, oh, you know, have you been impacted on your street? And he's and they say no. So <laughs> I I mean I haven't hit every street in all the neighborhoods, but I also think there's a feeling of crime. And crime is being spoken about a lot and there is crime happening and everyone deserves to be safe in their home. I know what it's like to be stolen from or to to be broken into and it feels absolutely violating. Some people absolutely deserve to feel safe. And I also think that it um, it's more concentrated and not all over the community in a way that people talk about. And I don't want to minimize that it's not happening because it absolutely is. But a lot of people who are talking about it haven't actually been impacted by it personally. And I've just got one last question, yes. but it, it's, of course, the doozy, so you probably okay. know what it's going to be. No, I don't. The name change. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, I think as a facilitator in that process, you're yeah. probably pretty knowledgeable, but yeah. what is your feeling, stance, whatever, personal view on the name change? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm open about this when people ask me. So as a facilitator in that process, like I learned a lot. I had to do research in order to prepare materials. I learned a lot about the history of this town the history of the nation, uh, and I'm personally supportive of a name change. I also support the 11 recommendations of the Joint Working Group, and the 11th recommendation is to consider an opinion poll as a tool, but only if the first 10 are are um, are taken care of in good faith. And so 
I feel personally like a name change is inevitable. I think it will happen. I think the question is how long it will take, um, what types of conversations we need to hold, what processes we need to go through. But I think, I think it will happen. I think it's just a matter of time. And just moving through the, those 11 recommendations, I'm not discounting an opinion poll, but the first 10 items need to happen first. And, um, and I think if we go through those in a really good faith way, the answer at the end will be very clear. Okay. Yeah. And we still have a little bit of time left. Was okay. there anything you wanted to oh. discuss? Or? I feel like I tend to answer questions like, to the point, you know where I stand. I have words and they mean something. So this happened at my CGMP interview as well. I ended early. <laughs> So maybe I can talk about how uh, I won't be one of those politicians that rambles on and doesn't quite have anything to say, but somehow manages to fill the time. But yeah, and I also feel like when people come up and talk to me and they ask me about name change or they ask me about, you know, my thoughts on vaccines or crime, and I will tell them what I think because I think it's important for people to know like what they're getting when they vote for people. It's I hear some candidates speak and I'm like, I don't actually know where you stand on issues. So if someone's voting for you, do they know what they're getting in terms of what's important to you and how you will make your decisions? I want people to know where I stand. I actually got an email last night. I'm whispering as if (laughs) I don't want people to overhear where someone said that they thought I, you know, obviously I'm well-smoken. I have not spoken, spoken, (laughs) well-spoken well well and um, comfortable in the public and have relevant experience and very knowledgeable. And then the person says, but you scare me. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Because I think this person cares about certain issues and and feels that I don't agree on those issues and also feels like maybe I might get elected because I'm I have um, good qualifications for the role and so uh, I haven't responded to him yet because it's been a whirlwind and that was just was it last night uh, anyways time's a blur um, yeah. uh, but I don't want people to vote for me without knowing what's important to me and I mean I'm one person on council there are seven people who have to vote together to make things happen and so just because I believe something to be important doesn't mean it's going to happen but it might if enough people who think similar similarly to me get elected but who knows what's going to happen right yeah yeah well thank you so much Julia for coming it was really nice to get to know you and have a chat thanks for having me Erin and best of luck to you thank you that concludes this episode of Coastal Currents with Erin Reed, featuring Trina Isaacson candidate for City Council if you'd like to get more information on Trina you can find her on the website trinaisaacson.ca that's t-r-i-n-a i-s-a-k-s-o-n dot c-a Trina also has an election Facebook page which is at Isaacson Trina. That's at I-S-A-K-S-O-N-T-R-I-N-A. Or you can search Trina Isaacson for Powell River City Council. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thank you for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. For more interviews, visit coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Thanks again for listening.